Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. That chronic inflammation is the common denominator in all diseases, and the mouth is the most common site of chronic inflammation, but rarely associated with pain. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. All right. Today on The Less Stress Life, we have Dr. Ron Ehrlich, who has a great book title that he will tell you about in a little bit. But first of all, he has 40 years of clinical experience, and he's made it his goal to help people minimize the stresses and build resilience in the modern world. So originally a holistic dentist, a few years after graduating dental school, Dr. Ron found himself encountering patients with chronic headaches and neck aches. He discovered that the link between dental stress and its effect on the rest of the body, from anything to how well you sleep to chronic infections, can play a role in that. So he created a model of stress that he's personally and professionally been using for over 35 years and can be found in his book, A Life Less Stressed. So welcome, Dr. Ehrlich. Thanks, Krista. It's Ron. Ron's fine. Yeah. Okay. So let's not be too formal. <laughs> yeah. So when I first got the email about your book and your topic, I said, of course, this guy is a perfect complement to our show. And I was telling him off air, telling you off air how we have a lot of smart people listen to this podcast and how stress was just sort of a synonym for inflammation that we kind of stumbled upon. It was a, like a nice layman's term for inflammation. It's given us this nice umbrella. For you, you're coming from a different background, but you arrived at some of the same conclusions a little bit. So I'd love to hear about how you went into dentistry and how you kind of realized that there was more to it, or you felt maybe like you wish you could have helped people in a bigger way because you realized that there was more to it than just what they were sitting in your chair for. Mm, Yeah, no, no, that's exactly how I, you mentioned uh, I got into it very early, like within a year or two of graduating, I found myself just by accident, really, treating a couple of patients who responded well. They had had chronic headaches, and uh, after adjustment of a bite, a filling or a crown that had been too high for too long or wasn't properly balanced, they reported back that they were suffering from headaches anymore. So I immersed myself in what was then referred to as temporomandibular joint dysfunction. That's the jaw joint. 
And, uh, of course, it's so easy to get into your specialty. And I dived deeper and deeper and deeper and found that, gee, not many people have a perfect bite and a lot of people have clicking jaws. And this chronic head and neck pain problem was very common. So I thought, wow, this is really going to be big, uh, all about dentistry. But in about 1983, I was attending many courses, and one that I did attend was talking about a stress model, which said that stress was a combination of emotional, environmental, postural, nutritional, and dental stress. And that began a journey for me, and this was 1983, so that began a journey for me to learn, well, I wasn't going to get into the emotional part. I didn't feel qualified to do that, although personally, well, you know, we're all on an emotional journey. Environmentally was a very new topic at that point. 1983, people weren't talking a lot about environment, so I really focused on nutrition, did my first nutrition course around that time and have been interested in it ever since. And posturally, I was working with a lot of chiropractors, osteopaths, podiatrists, physios. And so I explored the world of postural stress as well. And then, of course, environment became an issue. And I got my fellowship from the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine in 1998. And that opened up a whole new area. And it's been a learning journey ever since. So that led me to eventually, as you mentioned, write that book, A Life Less Stressed. And almost everybody that uh, hears that says, oh, I must read that. And I hope they do. But it's understanding what stress is. Everybody can relate to it in this modern world, but you really have to understand what it means to, if stress is a problem, it always helps to know what stress actually is if you're going to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Putting some qualifications on it more so. I want to go back a few steps. You talked about clicking jaws and we're, you know, I'm curious about the aspects of dentistry. So what was the cause of the clicking jaws that were very common in people or like what was going on? Was this a structural thing that was happening or posture? Yeah, well, I think taking a step even further back from that, just as we've evolved to have five fingers and two arms and two legs, et cetera, et cetera, we've also evolved over millions of years to have 32 teeth in our mouth. Now, you know, that is important because if you have enough room for all of the teeth that you've evolved to have, then the shape and size of your mouth literally determines the shape and size of your upper airway. And if your upper airway is restricted, you are more prone, more predisposed to upper respiratory problems or chronic mouth breathing or sleep-disordered breathing conditions and postural issues. And really, 95% of the population in the Western world, in my experience over the last 40 years, is having all 32 of your teeth through and in perfect alignment is quite a rare thing, which means that jaws are crowded to varying degrees. And the jaw joint pivots just in front of the middle ear, and what separates the jawbone from the skull is a disc. And if your jaw is working smoothly and properly and efficiently, then as you open and close, you should be able to open somewhere between 45 and 55 millimeters, and the jaw should move smoothly and quietly without uh, clicking or popping noises. Now, fortunately, the body is, and we are as humans, very resilient. So that can be significant. If you'd asked me that in 1984, I would have said it's incredibly significant. If you deal with a clicking jaw, it will result in arthritis. But actually, the science doesn't support that. So it's just one of issues that 
can be significant, particularly when we're dealing with a chronic pain condition. But, you know, the other thing about it is that the mouth is the gateway to the digestive tract. So if you think chewing your food and breaking it down and preparing it for your stomach to do all its wonderful things, then an efficient and healthy, well-functioning masticatory system your teeth and your jaw joints, is pretty important. So clicking jaws occur for varying reasons. Part of it is crowding. Part of it can be a trauma. Part of it can be clenching or grinding. Part of it could be the way you sleep at night. If you're sleeping on your stomach, that could cause an issue. If you fell over and bumped your jaw and pushed it back in an accident or were involved in a car accident or another injury, sporting injury, that could put the disc out of place. A clicking jaw indicates that the disc within the jaw joint, temporomandibular joint, is out of place. And as you open your jaw and it clicks, that's the disc clicking back into place. Mm. And then as you close the jaw, you might hear it click out of place again. Mm. It's trying to get into line, but it just cannot do it by itself. Mm. It's been thrown out, right? A little bit. Well, if you are clenching and grinding and chewing and the disc is not in place, I always use the analogy of, say, jumping up and down on my feet. If I jump up and down on my feet evenly, then I can do that because my joints are taking the load as they should. But if I roll my ankle to one side and then jump up and down on that, then I twist my ankle because ligaments and tendons are taking a load that my joint should take. Mm -hmm. And so that's why a disc out of place, when you're putting a lot of pressure on it, as in chewing, clenching or grinding, can be significant. Mm -hmm. I love it. So I want to get to all the forms of stress, but actually it's good to talk about this because these are common things people are dealing with and maybe not even saying anything. So why do you see clenching and grinding happening and do you see headaches as a result of that? Yeah, well, clenching and grinding uh, can occur during the day and it can occur during the night. And nocturnal bruxism or grinding can be significant. You know, you've got to take a step back and work out how often should teeth actually touch in function? You know, what's the purpose of that? And the purpose is to chew. And if you had a stopwatch for every tooth contact in a 24-hour period, and the studies have actually been done, then, you know, the teeth would touch for about 15 to 30 minutes a day. And when your teeth touch, not only do your jaw muscles and temporal muscles tighten, but so do the muscles at the side and the back of the neck because they balance those muscles out. And they only have to do that for 30 minutes a day. That's no big deal. For 23 and a half hours, you're not meant to be closing your teeth together and clenching or chewing or grinding. But if you clench and or grind your teeth, you might be doing that for an hour or two or three or five or six or whatever, but you're certainly doing it for more than 30 minutes. And that not only can put a strain on your jaw muscles, which actually are rather resilient, but it also puts an, an uneven strain on the muscles at the back of the neck and the shoulder. And that's where the connection is between clenching and grinding and tension headaches and neck aches, particularly if someone wakes up in the morning with a sore, with a headache or a neck ache. I mean, I had a patient in, you know, we get patients in all the time and say, how often do you get a headache? And they go, well, not very often. And I go, okay, well, to some people, not very often means once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. And to other people, not very often means once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, a headache once or twice a year is not very often. I mean, we all get the occasional headache, particularly if we haven't drunk enough or drunk too much. That is not unusual. But a headache once or twice a week, for many people, it's even more, is not normal. 
even I think a headache a couple of times a month is not normal. So particularly waking up in the morning. So you've got to explore what is causing that. And one thing that's often overlooked is the role of the jaw or in a broader term, dental stress in this chronic tension, headache and neck ache problem. So when you were sitting there as a dentist and people are dealing with this, were you able to give some advice on decreasing that clenching? Do you just ask them to be more cognizant of it? Because I think a lot of times people, if they're clenching during the daytime, they may inadvertently be doing that, right? Because they're stressed. I mean, honestly, because they're stressed. And there Mm. may be other reasons too. What do you think? Or what do you tell them to do? Well, I think there's two different issues here. One is a daytime clenching grinding, which you can try to consciously reduce. But the problem is when you go to sleep, you're not conscious. Mm -hmm. Um, So making a conscious effort to stop clenching or grinding while you're asleep is a challenge. It's almost a contradiction. So we can explore why they do that. And people clench or grind their teeth for various reasons. One is stress. They're under stress. Another is the way they breathe. At night, another is there could be a nutritional deficiency, another is there could be a postural or there could be pain issues. So what we would tend to do is firstly make people aware of it and ensure that their sleeping position is good. Stomach sleeping is the worst position to sleep in for a whole range of reasons that put strain on the head, neck and jaw muscles and also on the airway and the lower back. So stomach sleeping is not good. Sleeping on your back is also not ideal, particularly as you get older. The jaw is more prone to drop back and the tongue is attached to the lower jaw. So that affects how you breathe. And sometimes and often when a chronic pain condition, we can make a night guard which fits on the upper or lower teeth and kind of takes the stress and strain out of the jaw muscles and the head and neck muscles and allows them to relax at night. So you may still grind a little, but at least you're like putting the jaw on roller skates, if you like, rather than locking it into the teeth. You're kind of giving it freedom to move around with a lot less strain and stress, and you're taking the pressure out of the jaw joints. So a night guard, and they come in various forms. I mean, in my own practice, I would use at least a half a dozen different designs according to how appropriate, you know, for the individual patient. So a night guard is, is, is certainly one thing and exploring the quality of the person's sleep is another. And, and looking at their nutrition, I mean, drinking coffee, for example, after one or o'clock in the afternoon is not a good thing because it's a neurostimulant, you know, having other things nutritionally that cause that kind of problem is also something worth exploring. Taking magnesium supplements or looking at the whole nutritional balance is also very helpful. Mm -hmm. So as we go through this, I love hearing you talk in your zone of genius, by the way. But as (laughs) as we go through this, it's no surprise how you felt really compelled to kind of branch out into other areas, right? Or more holistic dentistry, because you know, we're not in a silo. And so as much as you were hanging out and talking about teeth and what was going on in the mouth, it was affecting the rest of the body. And here we're talking about sleep and nutrition and all these important things. So I love how you weave them together. And this really Mm. takes us back to that conference you went to, where sort of those five types of stress kind of started their reveal to you. So let's give that a little lip service. You talk about five types of stress. And we are already talking about what we can do with some of them because we've been talking about dental stress a little bit. I do want to mention, I think we align a lot because I always 
think or say to close friends that what's going on in the mouth is definitely a direct picture of what's going on in the rest of the body, right? Just because we can't see inside the body, we can see inside the mouth. And I think you feel really similarly. So dental stress is one of the five types of stress, right? Yeah. Whenever I talk about that five stressor model, everybody nods their head until I get to dental stress. And then they have this look on their face like, what the hell? And I say, look, I include that for two reasons. I include dental stress for two reasons. Firstly, I've been interested in that professionally and personally for 40 years. And so I feel reasonably qualified to talk about it. The second reason I include it is because it's of interest to anybody with a mouth who is interested in their health but has never fully connected the two. And there are, as you've said, many connections. I mean, we've touched on digestion. We've touched on chronic pain. It's the site of the two most common infections known to man, woman, or child, and that is gum disease and tooth decay. And if the hardest part of your body, you know, when they dig up skeletons or find things uh, millions of years old, the teeth are what they find. So teeth are the hardest part of your body. And if that decays because of what you eat, you can imagine what it does to the rest of your body. In fact, you don't have to imagine. You just have to look at the statistics out there about heart disease, cancer, autoimmune, diabetes, you name it. So the two most common infections known to man, woman, or child, tooth decay and gum disease, I've already touched on the fact that this is also the gateway to the respiratory tract. The shape and size of your mouth determines the shape and size of your upper airway. So if you think breathing is important, and I think we can all agree it is, and breathing well is really important, and there we can talk about what the difference there is. But breathing is important, and sleeping is important. I mean, sleep is a huge topic, and the, the shape and size of your mouth determines how well you might be breathing at night. So sleep is a function of both quantity, getting enough, and quality, breathing well while you're asleep. So there's so many things going on there in the mouth that people should be aware of. And unfortunately, so many people assess their oral health by going, you know, nothing hurts. I think I'm okay. And you know, I often draw the analogy there. If I went to see my cardiologist and the cardiologist said to me, Ron, how are you feeling? And I go, fine. And he goes, great. Come back when you have any pain. Your heart's fine. Tick that box. We would think, hang on, that's not a very good cardiologist. That's not really, you wouldn't accept it. And we shouldn't accept it in oral health either. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what some people may not realize is that although we know that there's dental stress as well established relationship to nutrition and whatnot, actually, and I hope I get this right, the father of chiropractic or a couple of the fathers of chiropractic actually were dentists first. I think maybe D.D. Palmer, there's another one. And some there is a whole holistic health association. I believe that they were dentists as well and kind of do a lot of nutrition stuff. So there's a book, I think, called Pottinger's Cats. I don't know if it's the right book. Yeah, to quote. yeah yes. You're talking about Price Pottinger Foundation and Weston A. Price, who was a dentist in the early part of the 20th century. And he did traveled the world looking for the answer to what caused tooth decay. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge epidemic of that in the early part of the 20th century. And he visited traditional societies all around the world, in the Andes, in North America, in Alaska, in Polynesia, Melanesia, Australia, Africa, in the highlands of Scotland, etc., etc. So he went around the world and he looked at traditional cultures living with traditional diets and found something fascinating. He found that people who were eating traditional diets had not only no tooth decay, but they had enough room for all 32 of their teeth, and also 
they had no history of heart disease, cancer, or any of the diseases that were visible in the Western society at that time. And then he would go down the road, literally to the same genetic group who were now living in towns and cities, and look at what they ate, and found that they were suffering from an epidemic of tooth decay and all the degenerative diseases, and within one generation had narrow jaws and crowded teeth. Mm-hmm. So the importance of a nutrient-dense diet, and he looked at all the common denominators across the world, and he found they had three common features. One, nutrient-dense diet in traditional cultures had 10 times the number of the amount of water-soluble vitamins and minerals, and it had four times the amount of fat-soluble vitamins and minerals. And fat-soluble vitamins and minerals, as you would know, are very important if you're going to absorb the water-soluble vitamins and minerals. And he found that the best source of those fat-soluble vitamins were from animals raised on good pasture. So, you know, that was really interesting and very important bit of research done in the early part of the 20th century. And Price and Pottinger was a medical researcher, I think, that did a lot of research on cats and found nutrient-dense diets were really important there as well and drew conclusions from it. But the key message there was that a nutrient-dense diet is really important in the development of the jaw, having enough room for the teeth, on the incidence of oral infections, and then also on the incidence of all the diseases we see in the Western world. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the other things you had mentioned was about having enough room for the teeth. And really, that was what I had wanted to ask is, how do we evolve to not have enough room? I mean, that's a common thing now. We don't have uh, straight teeth or we don't have enough room. And so why is that new? Like, when did that change? And and that's the thought is that it may have changed with some diet and other things. As we think about this evolution, like if we think about evolution in general, but just like evolution of the mouth, like how does that change as nutrient density and everything else around us has changed? Well, the shape and size of your mouth It's really important for people who are contemplating to have children, and this is what happens in traditional cultures. There's a preparation that goes into it for the months before conception. So the nutritional quality of the mother and and the father leading up to conception is very important. At the moment of conception, vitally important, and throughout pregnancy, absolutely important and then through infancy and 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 onwards so the key is to have a nutrient dense diet and a nutrient dense diet was as was defined by by price was higher in all of those vitamins and minerals and particularly the fat soluble vitamins are critically important to good skeletal development mm-hmm. not to mention good immune function and a whole range of other things so Nutrient dense is the key. Once the child is born, then if they have allergies or their food sensitivities and they become more a mouth breather than a nasal breather, Mm. because then that can be significant too. Because the best orthodontic appliance known to man, woman, or child is the tongue. And the tongue should rest on the roof of the mouth. The lips should be lightly touching. The teeth should be slightly apart or lightly touching. You remember we said you should only have your teeth together for 30 minutes a day when you're chewing and talking and maybe swallowing, you know, the stopwatch there. So the ideal position for jaw development is the lips lightly touching, the tongue resting on the roof of the mouth. You swallow 1,200 times a day. So there's that tongue 
beautifully pressing against the palate and the tongue is a broad, flat muscle which develops a broad upper arch which gives you lots of room for the upper teeth, lots of room for your nasal passages and sinuses and then because you've got lots of room on your upper teeth, your lower teeth have got lots of room to fit into that and so all up you've got a lot of room for your tongue. And so the tongue resting on the roof of the mouth is really important. Now, if a child has allergies, asthma, or any of those issues and is predominantly a mouth breather, then the tongue rests on the floor of the mouth, and that means the lips and the cheeks exert pressure, which pushes the jaw in, and we get narrowing. So going back, it's a combination of nutrient-dense diet from before the moment of conception right through adolescence, and then from birth... It's a function of tongue and lip posture as well as diet. Yeah, I love it. So you did talk about some dental issues, gum disease and tooth decay. How common are underlying infections uh, present in people and they just walk around without realizing it? Mm, Very common as it turns out. And I can quote for you here American statistics, which says that 92% of the population have gingivitis. Now, if you look in your mouth, and you see your teeth surrounded by pink, that's the gums or gingiva, and when that becomes inflamed, it's called gingivitis. And a sign of gingivitis is that the gums bleed when you brush and or floss. And a lot of people floss their teeth and their gums bleed, and a lot of people's response to that is, oh, I better just leave that alone for a few days and it won't happen anymore. And that would be like me washing my hands And every time I washed my hands, the cuticles of my nails bled. And I looked down at my hands and I thought, hmm, I better not wash my hands for a few Mm. days. That solves that problem. Mm. And that's the kind of similar logic, but it just doesn't make sense, does it, either? So if your gums bleed when you brush or floss, that could be a sign that gingivitis is there. And according to the statistics, and this is coming out of America, and I think it's the same in Australia, I'm in Australia, 92% of the population have gingivitis. Now, the tooth is held into the jawbone by a ligament called the periodontal ligament. And when gingiva becomes inflamed for long enough, then the inflammation and infection spreads down the side of the tooth to the periodontium, and that's called periodontitis. And it seems that about just under 50% of the population suffer from some form of periodontitis. And when we get over the age of 65, that number goes up to about 70%. So it is a huge problem that almost never causes any pain. And if you wanted a good reason to go for a regular checkup to the dentist, the three good reasons are, number one, to check whether your gums are in good shape because chronic inflammation, and you know we were talking about this before we came on, Krista, mm-hmm. that chronic inflammation is the common denominator in all diseases, and the mouth is the most common site of chronic inflammation, but rarely associated with pain. So gum disease, number one. Tooth decay is the most, I mean, it's the most common non-communicable disease in man, woman, or child. In fact, 90% of the population have some experience of tooth decay. You know, they have a filling. And that used to be a much bigger problem in the 70s, you know, prior to in the first part of the 20th century, right up until the mid to late 20th century. Tooth decay has certainly reduced. There's no question about that for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is people are far more conscious about brushing their teeth. But tooth decay has come down, but it's still the most common chronic non-communicable infection. 
And so that's another reason to go to the dentist. And the third one, which we can just touch on very quickly, is to have an oral cancer screen because oral cancer is a horrible condition that you would never know you had. And a dentist does this as a normal routine checkup. In most dentists would do an oral cancer screening. So, you know, they're pretty important reasons for that's the infection inflammation side of things. Yeah, because it can cause a whole downstream whole body inflammation when there's a mouth inflammation, right? Absolutely. And that's the cascade because the body is connected. Big breakthrough here. The mouth is actually (laughs) part of the body um, and the blood that flows through the mouth flows through the rest of your body. So if you've got bacteria getting out of control, then it will enter the bloodstream and it will affect things. The body sets up an inflammatory response to protect that. And so you have chronic inflammatory markers floating through the body, a C-reactive protein that's called homocysteine. You know, these things are elevated when gum inflammation is present. So it's a big issue. And that's why gum disease in the last 20 or 30 years There's so much research to connect gum disease to heart disease, to various forms of cancer, to dementia even. And, you know, people think, well, what's the connection there? How can that be connected? Well, the body is connected and chronic inflammation is the common denominator. Yeah, makes perfect sense. I love you have a a comment that's holistic is not a new age philosophy. It's just common sense on how our body and planet works. And I totally agree. I mean, there's a lot of people that reach out to me from the podcast and they say, oh, you helped me realize I was interested in this side of nutrition. And I mean, it just makes sense, right? We care about how everything is connected. And so why would we want to be very siloed? So anyway, Mm. so we talked quite a bit about dental stress, which I've loved. You've mentioned a lot about nutritional stress. We've touched really briefly on some. We know that there's environmental and emotional stress. Well, we did talk about postural stress. Do you want to mention that a little bit more? You've talked about it in terms of like sleeping on your stomach and Mm. some other things and, and what's going on with the jaw. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Sure. Well, I think postural stress, well, there are various ones that I include in this. One of them is, for example, if you're a mouth breather, you have a tendency to have a more head forward posture because by rotating the head forward, you open the airway more. So actually mouth breathing and head forward posture is an issue. I've talked about sleeping posture, you know, stomach sleeping the worst, back sleeping has its issues, side sleeping is the best. I was very interested in chronic pain throughout my career. I have been chronic musculoskeletal pain, particularly chronic headaches, neck aches, and actually even interestingly lower back pain. So I did a lot of research with a podiatrist in the early 90s and learned a lot about foot structure and leg length difference. And it's so interesting. There are so many similarities between functional podiatry and the temporomandibular joint in chronic pain because it's two areas that people often overlook and can be significant. You know, I get a lot of patients that have gone to a Cairo or an osteo. Or Yes, I go every week. I go every month. How long have you been doing that? Oh, I've been going for years. That's what controls my pain. And my question to those people would be, and the practitioners particularly, would be, okay, if you've adjusted this and you've got improvement, but in a week or two or four later, the patient relapses and needs to be adjusted again, what have you missed? Is there a predisposing factor that you haven't factored in? And the predisposing factors that are commonly missed are the role of the jaw in head and neck pain and the role of the foot structure in lower back pain. And so posturally, there are lots of issues around gait 
and supination and pronation and heel strike. You know, we could go into that in detail. So postural stress there as well, apart from head posture, is foot structure and even <laughs> include sitting on the toilet as a postural stress because for millions of years we have squatted and our bodies have evolved to be very efficient in emptying our bowels when we uh, squat. And yet sitting on a toilet isn't very conducive to that. And there's some very interesting research that shows that squatting on the toilet, and there are little things you can get, I have no shares in any of them, squatty potty or other things, can make a big difference. So there's another postural stress. And if you're ever in a public place and you look around at people looking down on their phones, I mean, there is a huge postural stress. When we got up on our two legs millions of years ago and balanced this 10-pound uh, ball called our head on our spine, it was quite a challenge, and it still continues to be quite a challenge. But as you tilt your head down, that 10-pound ball can become a 30, 40, 50, 60-pound ball, depending on how far down you tilt your head. And look in a public space, any public space, and see how many people are looking down at their phones, and there's another postural stress. So there's just a couple of things, and not moving is a big postural stress, so there's another one. Mm -hmm. um, so we could talk at length about postural stress. Yeah, there is an episode from Dr. Heidi Roberts, who is a physical therapist, and one of the biggest takeaways from that is that you just move all day long. Because if you don't, you're kind of creating consistent structures that sometimes aren't very healthy for us. So if we're always looking down, as you had said, we're going to create some different kinds of pains and aches in our neck and through our shoulders and, and so on. And so if we continually move in general, so for example, we went over my workspace that day. And so I now stand on a mat with little foot exercising things. And sometimes I sit Me on a too. ball and sometimes I sit <laughs> at my desk and sometimes I squat, uh, you know, squat. Otherwise, it's as long as you are moving because doing the same thing over and over causes the issues. And I think that brings me to the next question about summarizing, how do we start to improve this? And you have a topic kind of on your list about one of the answers here is really biohacking. Diversity is really the key to building resilience. Can you expound upon that a little bit or how you sort of summarize? Like, I mean, you can't really easily summarize this because this is life. This is assessing all the areas and making little improvements in every area to have the ultimate less stressed life. But talk to us about how diversifying that is really the key. Well, I think, you know, as we said, I think most people acknowledge that stress is a problem and that it's impacting on their health in not a particularly positive way. Having said that, there can be some positive stresses. Not all stresses is bad. For example, exercise is a stress which is good. Uh, fasting is a stress which is good. Uh, getting into a hot sauna is a stress which is good. But for a lot of stressors, anything that compromises your immune system or promotes chronic inflammation, I define as a stress. And so I see life as a balance. And on one side of that balance are the five stressors, and you should identify as many as you can and minimize as many as you can. So that's one side of the scale, and we do have control over things, so that's important. On the other side is to build resilience, and if you're going to build resilience, you need to focus on the five pillars of health, which are sleep, breathe, nourish, move, and think. So on one side, we're identifying and minimizing those things that compromise our immune system, and on the other side of the balancing beam, we have building resilience, and the fulcrum around which that is built is our genetics and our epigenetics because we do have some control over how our genes express themselves. And that's the wonderful 
story of epigenetics. So, you know, that's how I see our life being. And you mentioned diversity, and I actually think, you know, I'm very interested in regenerative agriculture as well and soils. And it turns out that, you know, we've had a very adversarial approach to microbes in our world, in our life, in our history. You know, we've always tried to overcome them. And we're learning that we uh, need to be in harmony with our microbiome, be it in the gut, be it in the mouth, be it in the soil in which we grow our food. And it turns out that the more diverse all of those are, the more resilient you are and the healthier you are. And I think that's a wonderful metaphor for a global world as well. You know, the more diverse, the more resilient, the healthier we will all be rather than be all polarized. So, so you know, I kind of think that's the balancing act that we go through and we live in the modern world. So I think it's really important to take control of your own health. That's the key message. But don't be too hard on yourself and don't be too fanatical. I think it's about a percentage game. And in my experience, you need as an individual to work out what your percentage is of good and bad, of good and compromise, if you like. And and so, I mean, if it's a 50-50 split, I think you're in real trouble. If it's a 60-40 split, I don't think that's good either. 70-30, you're getting there. Where, but I think 80-20, where 80% of what you do is good for your health and, hey, we live in the real world, let's not be too hard on ourselves, 20%, hey, let's give yourself a break. When I'm on fire, 90-10 is where I'm at. You know, wow, that's when I feel fantastic. If I try to shoot for 100%, I'm a social outcast and no one wants mm-hmm. to be with me and my friends and family don't want to talk to me and it turns out relationships are one of the most important things in our lives. So, you know, finding that balance and understanding what it is you're trying to reduce and how you can build up resilience is the key. I think you outlined that so well. I often tell clients when they're looking at the long term, they ask, how should I do this or this? And I said, as long as you're being much more supportive than you are aggravating, you are winning. When you start being more aggravating than supportive, as in the form of your balance beam or teeter-totter or whatever, that's the issue. So I just love how you spelled it out so clearly. Dr. Ron, where can people find you online? Well, they can go onto my website, which is Dr. Ron Ehrlich. That's D-R-R-O-N. E-H-R-L-I-C-H uh, dot com. And there's a whole lot of stuff on there. And of course, I, I actually do have my own podcast, Krista, called Unstress with Dr. Ron Ehrlich. Oh, I love it. Great. Going to go check that out, add it to our list. And you're also at Dr. Ron Ehrlich on Instagram. I am. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed our conversation about dental stresses and the stress beyond and how you summarized it. So again, that was D-R-R-O-N e-h-r-l-i-c-h.com and we'll have that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 